Sort of friends talking nerdy. This is Tim Jowsman, and on the line I have Mr. Noel. Well, how's it going? It is going very good, Tim. Thank you for having me on again. Uh, a lot of my friends were kind of surprised to hear my stories because they haven't heard it in a long time. So I thank you for allowing me to share that with uh, your your listeners and my listeners and friends as well. Yeah, that was one hell of a story, and I'm glad uh, we had it on there. So um, people, I, I know people on my end from my uh, friends and whatnot that I've pestered to listen to the show seem to appreciate it. So um, yeah, like I said, glad to have you back on again. But uh, what we're going to do today. Um, with the previous episode you all have listened to, um, the, it's, the, the past couple episodes have uh, detailed uh, um, the favorite TV shows of the 80s that Maura and I talked about. So I'm going to take a different tact here with Noel. We're going to talk about favorite movies of the 80s. And similar to those previous episodes, it's kind of going to be a back and forth deal. I'll start off with one. Noel's going to uh, go on with his list. And we're just going to talk about our favorite movies until uh, we get to the end of the list. So I say let's do it. Mm-hmm. All right, so starting, I'll start off here. Starting off in 1980, it is a movie directed by John Landis. Details two musicians who, after some divine intervention, get the band back together to help out their favorite orphanage. I am talking about the Blues Brothers. No question. That's definitely on my list. That's I, I'll share a really interesting story with that movie. When I went to a day camp, this guy, Big Al's what we call him, he actually had that soundtrack. He played the entire Blue Brothers soundtrack We were all, when he was taking us from the camp to, say, the pool. So I was a young kid singing all those songs. We did you know, the Cab Calloway, Sweet Home Chicago, all that stuff. So when I finally saw the film on television, it blew my mind. I even had the movie poster in, in college, so I was a big Blues Brothers fan. That's a, that film is classic. The fact that you have pretty much four legendary Icons: Cab Calloway, Aretha Franklin, James Brown, and Ray Charles. Literally sold that, and even Johnny Hooker's in there as, as as well. I mean, that film cannot go wrong. I think next to Wayne's World, I think that's probably the most successful SNL skit film of all time. I believe is the Blues Brothers. Yeah, I mean, just from beginning to end. I mean, the only thing I really don't care for for the movie is the five minute uh, opening where you just see uh, Jake walking. <laughs> it could have, I mean, there could have been a little bit of editing editing on that part, but they just got the perfect cast of characters there. I mean, um, Carrie Fisher as the deranged girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, Henry Gibson as uh, one of those damn Illinois Nazis. It, it, it's, yeah. I mean, to me, it's. I mean, especially with Henry Gibson. Henry Gibson was a part of the TV show Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In, which was definitely a predecessor for Saturday Night Live. So in a way, that was kind of a passing of the torch film, really. 
Yeah, definitely. He's it's uh it's funny. He's one of those actors that really can turn it on. You don't think about it. It's a it's a it, he fits perfectly in that movie. Yeah, with Carrie Fisher. Who else? We got um oh Charles Napier as the one of the good old boys. <laughs> Stein <laughs> that line, and um, I think who else we can think? Any other hidden gems in there? Oh, actually. Steven Spielberg makes an appearance in the movie as the Kirk, as the uh, Cook County assessment clerk, and, uh, clerk excuse me. Yep. So that's that's actually one of the next, I think, that film, this uh, the Blues Brothers, and I think um, Austin Powers and Goal, I think, uh, The Spy Who Shagged Me, the only two films I believe Spielberg appeared in just as an actor. So that so it's weird to see him in there kind of look around, but him and John do go back. So that, so it's kind of nice to, to see uh, uh, Senor Spielberg go and, and <laughs> just uh, having fun. Yeah, and I mean that was when when uh, Landis and Spielberg were still friends before the Twilight Zone incident soured their friendship. Um, and I, for me, I think the biggest thing I take away from that movie is the music. Um, I, I think the beautiful thing about what the Blues Brothers did, not only with uh, the movie, but their shots on Saturday Night Live, the albums they put out, is that they did shine a light on some great music that, thanks to record companies, thanks to, let's be honest, in, inherent racism in the music industry, they shined a light on on people that, that deserve to, to have that uh, light shined on them because... Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you go down the history of rock rock music, there uh, you know Af- African American contribution to rock and roll music today, as we know it, 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 you know there would be no rock music without that. Oh, no question. You, uh, Tim, you were preaching to the choir. It's uh, it's definitely. And a lot of times you'll hear those artists and you'll start listening to their old collection. Like uh, I had to say that when James Brown passed away a couple years ago, I downloaded his old catalog and I was like. Oh, that's James Brown. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, and same with Richard Franklin. Now, mind you, of those, uh, of those uh, four select uh, superstars we kind of named, only Aretha's still alive. So, I, and I know she's she's touring as well. But uh, for any uh, any uh, film geek out there, that's a film to definitely have in your collection. You cannot go wrong with Blues Brothers. Yep, cannot go wrong. All right, what's your first choice? Well. <clears throat> I'm going to have to, you know, for that year, I'm going to have to go to probably, for those of us, the, my opinion, the greatest Star Wars movie of all time, and that's The Empire Strikes Back. Nice. That was definitely on my list. I, I It's funny. I remember, I don't remember seeing Star Wars. I remember seeing Empire, and I remember just being on the edge of my seat once it starts and, and the Imperial ship is flying and they're, and they're sending all those little uh, um, little uh, probes just to see what's going on. And then we, you know, when Vader you know, sees it, he goes, the rebels are there. And he, and he just has it. And then it's just on and pop. And that's, for, for me, I mean, for my diehard friends, I think all of us, uh, all of us big time um, Star Wars geeks, I think that's still the best film. Even though the new stuff out, that film is still untouchable. That really set the tone for everything. And for me, as a Star Wars head, that film itself is one of the few films I can just watch over and over again, and it just gets better. It seems dated, but, you know, hey, we meet Lando. We find, you know, we kind of find out how annoying C-3PO is, which is kind of funny. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of uh, understand... Just how deep the love between Leia and Han is, and that's kind of nice. So for those out there, you really have a really intense love story between those two, and we start to learn more about Luke and you know what, what's happening. We know, of course, the famous scene we all know. You know, Luke, I'm your father. And I remember seeing a theater, and everyone was just like cursing, saying, "Oh shit!" And I was a kid. I was like. <gasps> didn't see that coming and I remember uh, it was just incredible man I, I'll never forget I that's 
that's a cool thing when you see films like that in the theater first time. That one was one of them. Yeah, and that that film definitely took some major chances. I mean, most sequels that come out are essentially just plays off the original movie. The fact that the the film ends with the hero with his hand cut off and Han Solo frozen in carbonite uh, spoilers. Um, and and just all, <laughs> our, our heroes, you know, essentially essentially defeated at the end of the movie. Uh, you know, the movies even then did not take those types of chances um it was a very brave movie and i think that definitely uh brought a lot uh, it, it even made episode four better because you know little things like uh, alec guinness's performance where he took a pause before talking about anakin skywalker they didn't know the whole uh the vader was luke's father deal at that time so at initially when alec guinness did it it was just hesitation on his part but it added a lot there i mean that's so yeah, it it it's um yeah it, it kind of sets it off. It was weird. I was um a couple of nights ago while I was researching for this. I Looper had some um, hidden gems about uh, Star Wars. Like um we you know Carrie Fisher had had admitted to her affair with um, Harrison Ford, but I found out Looper that um, Alec Guinness did not like performing doing Obi Wan Kenobi. Nope. Yeah, he actually uh, was on Late Night with David Letterman um, and uh, talked about an incident where uh, a, a young kid came up and you know said, "I loved you as Obi Wan Kenobi," and he ended up with a parent there telling telling the kid that he should not watch that movie. Yeah, that's kind of sad, but you know, I think maybe Guinness didn't realize how much that film influenced. I mean, as, you know, you and I are both over forty, Tim, so we can look at retrospectively. When that film came out, man, that opened a lot of eyes. And for Star Wars at that time, it was the first time I remember of the cross promotion. So when you when, when we're watching Saturday morning cartoons, you'd see the Star Wars commercial for the Kenner dolls, and you and when Empire came out. It was all of that stuff. So it, it, you know, I remember the special edition. I think it was Boba Fett's um, ship, and it had the carbonite version of Han Solo that you could put in the, in the through the I guess loading dock. I remember that. But uh, yeah, I mean, when that film came out, that that film. I mean, for me, that that changed a lot of things uh, before that year. But uh, I, I want to continue. So besides some Empire Strikes Back, another film in that time, I think we will. I'll just continue on with that. Superman Two also came out in 1980. So yep. for me, you have that's probably still the best film. I think Terrence Stamp flipped it as General Zod. I I think Shannon Michael Shannon did a good job. One film I like talking about that I that I really got my attention is Atlantic City, Louis Malle's film with um, Susan Sarandon and I believe uh, Troll, not not Charles Heston, uh, Burt Lancaster. Mm -hmm. Really great film. But um, another uh, you know Popeye came out that year as well. I wasn't the biggest fan of the world uh, of that particular movie, but I do like the, I do like the soundtrack from Harry Nielsen. Um, he, he's an underappreciated uh, uh, singer these days. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he he did the everybody's talking from um, what was that? Midnight Cowboy. Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. Um, he also did my favorite breakup song. Um, you're breaking. <laughs> you're breaking Midnight Cowboy. Heart. Yeah, yeah. Um, everybody's talking Midnight Cowboy, but my favorite breakup song um, he did was "You're Breaking My Heart," and the opening lyrics are "You're breaking my heart, you're tearing it apart, so fuck you." <laughs> so fuck you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> great song. Great song. Yep. 
Um, and also with Superman 2, um, with Terrence Stamp, I love that he committed himself to that role. And I think with um, Empire, with, um, with the Superman movies, that really was the one of the first times that uh, that movies that typically in the past would have been considered uh, kids films that you would not have uh, spent a lot of time on you finally had actors embrace those roles mm-hmm. yeah it, it was it yeah, definitely yeah all right so my next one another film from 1980 a little film called Caddyshack oh yeah yeah yep. yeah I'm, I, I for, you know, I'm sorry Tim go ahead. no no go ahead go ahead I just yeah. We think about that. I, when I think of Caddyshack, I think of Bushwood, a, a dump, <laughs> Ted Knight. <laughs> awesome. We're yeah, waiting. That's, a, that's another great film. <laughs> oh, and, and Rodney Dangerfield gave the best line in that movie. It's when he was uh, entering the ballroom near the beginning of the movie and was talking to people, and he goes up to this old lady and goes, "How would you like to earn fourteen dollars the hard way?" It makes no sense, but coming from him, it made perfect sense. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, that's another. That's another good film. I remember I, you would that would come on cable sometimes or television. But when I when I was older and I saw it uncut, that I mean that's just (laughs) that film is crazy. Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, Brian Doyle Murphy's in it. Um, It it is that's a that's definitely a film to have in the collection. That film still stands up. Like the films we talked about are films that you know you and I can really watch over and over again. Everybody can watch over again. They they almost they do seem dated, but the stories do stick. And I think Caddyshack's one of those films that's still so funny. Yeah, and and that was uh, Harold Ramis. First directing job, he wrote that movie. Um, you know, Bill Murray, of course, uh, improvised his scenes. I mean, you can't write Bill Murray better than Bill Murray can, but um, that introduced a lot of talent to the screen. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Caddyshack's a is a, is a good film. Good yep. film. So, what's next up on your list? Um, next one up, and, this, and I think this is for Mora, Flash Gordon. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, yeah, it's uh, we for those uh, since Tim and I know more. This is like one of her favorite films. So I remember when before she left New York, I gave her a DVD of the movie for her birthday, and her and I actually saw Ted. So if you've seen the movie Ted, that you know that in itself is 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 incredible. I mean, the film is cheesy. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But the great score by Queen and uh, Timothy Dalton's in it. So you have some. Some interesting artists, but um, you know, after seeing the film, I started to read the comic book and I started to get more. Like the story about what Flash, what happened with Flash and Ming, and how that happens is quite interesting. I mean, I don't know if they're still writing Flash Gordon, but you know, in the fifties and sixties, I believe that I mean, Flash was one of the big, really big story, big um, uh, you know, comics and storylines. And uh, wow, I remember my dad told me about that about Flash Gordon. So that's an interesting. That's a, definitely an interesting film to check out. Yeah, and um, I'm, I'm sure you already know this too, but uh, George Lucas, after American Graffiti, initially wanted to make a Flash Gordon movie, but I guess, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Tribune Entertainment owned the uh, rights to that and would not sell them to him, so hence we got Star Wars uh, out of that mix, too. So true, so true. Yep. And I think I'm going to add one more film besides we did Flash Gordon. I'm going to throw in Heaven's Gate. Okay. And this is Michael Cimino movie. Now, this film, there's a book out called Easy, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls. It's a, it's a good book to have. It talks about 
how the film industry was set up in the late 60s, 70s. So we're talking about this, you know, uh, film directors going to school. So Spielberg, Lucas, the Palma, those guys that are part of the same niche. Michael Cimino, who, uh, another film that we, that is incredible, Deer Hunter, even though it's a the 70s, great film. This film was supposed to be his opus, but due to um, over, like, I think at the time, this film is actually known for destroying United Artists. This is the film that went, literally went over budget. But as anything in pop culture, after X amount of years, and Chimino actually passed away, I believe, last year, year before, oh, he had done a he had done a remaster of it, and I saw it, and you go, okay, at the time, you could see what Chimino was going for, but the, you know, seeing it now, and actually, I think I saw I saw a version in, on the screen. It's fascinating. It's really one of those stories. The storylines about it is really interesting, and it's worth checking out now. You know, it's it's always be the case with certain movies that at the time they come out, they are terrible. They're not really done well or sappy. But usually, in a twenty year time of the generation, or the fact that now the films we're talking about, I think all the films we're going to talk about this evening in our podcast, I think, are available either you can find them either you know DVD, iTunes, other media outlets. But that film still stands. It's a long film but definitely for film geeks um it's one of those films you can watch because for me as a film geek like i said in the last our last the discussion i tend to watch you know directors and chimino's one of those filmmakers i really love to see his process of that like i kind of did when i was watching um uh, deer hunter and of course his earlier films but for heaven's gate is one of those films that at the time it it, it seemed out of place, but nowadays it's definitely worth catching out. The director's cut of that is definitely around. I highly recommend people to kind of check that film out. It's, I think it's about two, two and a half or three hours. I think Chimino cut it down originally, but it's an interesting story. Chris Christopherson, it's a story about, um, let's see if I can remember correctly. Heaven's Gates deals with, uh, I think it's migrant workers. Those are Pol- Polish backgrounds, I believe. It's been a minute since I saw the movie, but it was done in a way that's really fascinating, and, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a, a collection uh, must for that, of that film. Yeah, and uh, the actor you mentioned, Chris Christopherson, is a great uh, singer and songwriter as well. Um, wrote the song Me and Bobby McGee that Janis Joplin made famous. Did work with Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, and Waylon Jennings. I mean, one of the few country singers I can actually respect. Um, but yeah, that is definitely one to check out. Um, all right, so next on my list, another movie from 1980. Not a big hit, but it definitely did show another side of Bill Murray. It's called Where the Buffalo Roam. Mm. Yes. Mm, okay. Soundtrack from Neil Young. It's um, a fictional story, but um, Bill Murray plays uh, a fictional version of Hunter S. Thompson. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of a play off of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas as well as Fear and Loathing on the campaign trail. Um, definitely one worth checking out, if only to see the scene with Bill Murray and uh, Richard Nixon near the end. Not the real Richard Nixon, of course, but an actor playing it. Um, just just with uh, the Nixon quote, fuck the doomed. You know, definitely worth it. Um, Peter, Peter Boyle from uh, Everybody Loves Raymond um, was in that film as well. And def- if all you've seen of his work is, is uh, from Everybody Loves Raymond, you are going to be pleasantly shocked at at the the range he was able to um, uh, able to give. He's really an underrated actor. Yes, he is. Oh, you should. We should. All, I would say to mention the film Joe. He did. That was the first one he did in the seventies with him, Susan Sarandon. 
So kind of added to what Tim said. That's a, if uh, Peter Bull is a great actor, that's one of the films to check out. It's called I, I think I think that's a Joe. Yeah, so Joe's the movie. Nineteen, I think seventies. It's one of the first films he did. It's a, that's another film of his to check out if you for Peter Boyle fans out there. Oh, and and, and yet another one too. It was written and directed by Paul. Sh- uh, what was that? Uh, yeah. I was going to say another one too is uh, written and directed by Paul Schrader. Um, Paul Schrader wrote Taxi Driver. Um, it's called Hardcore. It actually is based in my hometown of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Paul Schrader was uh, born in Grand Rapids, and uh, Peter. Uh, the premise of the story: um, Peter uh, um, George C. Scott and his daughter um, runs away to L.A. and joins the porn industry. And uh, G- George C. Scott goes to L.A., hires a private detective who's played by Peter Boyle in the film to help find his daughter. Oh, wow. Okay. I'll put that on my list. I haven't seen that one before. Mm-hmm. Definitely worth checking out. All right. So what's your next one? Um, my next one from 1980, um, Used Cars by Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> yeah, I think, oh, no, I think, is Zemeckis this one? Uh, I believe, I think it's, I think Zemeckis did this. I'm t- I always get, get, sometimes I get Zemeckis confused with Ron, with Ron Howard, but I believe Used Cars was a Mechis. Um yeah. I'm going back memory before I start looking up. Uh, Russell, I, I think uh, Kurt, sorry, Kurt Russell is, is in that movie, and uh, Grandpa Al Lewis. There's I, the film is based upon. Uh, there's this used cars lot, and they have an advertisement. I think they said of a mile of cars, and I think one of the one of the competition calls them on it. And during the film, they're trying to get all these car all these cars together. So it's I think I saw it on HBO like many many years ago. But when I was going through my list, that's uh, what it was. Yeah, it's it's a mecca. So it's Kurt Russell, Jack Warden is in it. Um, yeah, it's a it's one of those films that really crazy films you watch one night. It, it, there's a scene in the movie. I think one of the act one of the characters has a fear of driving a red car. So the car they, they have him drive is painted white, but he's doing good. But when the car scratches and see how the car, I think the car red comes up, he has this unique fear of getting back in the car. So uh, it def- I, may have, I may have completely destroyed how the scenario went, but I'll just say it's, it's good to add on your list. It's a, it's a good fun. It's, I think it's Zemeckis' first movie. It's, 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 one, it's one of the good ones to kind of watch out there sometime. Yeah, and I, I haven't seen it. Definitely familiar with it. I know that he directed that one, and then I, he directed I Want to Hold Your Hand, and both did not do well at the box office. And because of that, he was deathly afraid of uh, um, showing him uh, the work on Back to the Future um, because he didn't want uh, another uh, failure of his to be affected by um, to, to affect Steven Spielberg in any way. But, you know, Spielberg being a good guy, you know, gave, gave his friend yet another chance and uh, we're all the better for it. No question. No question. A lot of times, yet, you know. You, when you do a project, a film, or I do my photography, the first time you think it's it's such a crapshoot, and this is a, this is the eighties, so seven, you know, so a little more a little more established. And at the time, Spielberg had just seen Jaws, Jaws had come out, uh, Close Encounters, and you know, of course, regardless of eighties, you know, he will come up again, definitely. But you know, it's it's, uh, I mean, that I mean, it's you know, the same start of our, kind of your, our generation. These are the films that we kind of grew up watching. Yep. All right, so my next one is a film from 1984. It's directed by John Carpenter, starring Kurt Russell. It's a film called Escape from New York. Oh, I'm clapping, I'm clapping, I'm clapping, I'm clapping, I'm clapping. Yeah, 
Snake Plissken. I, I mean, yeah, I believe it's one of uh, Levon Cleft's last movies. Um, it, yeah, just perfect, perfect film. John Carpenter does not get the credit he deserves. It, it, it's all, I, it's almost like he's like forty. He came forty years way too early because it, it, any of his films that he released in the seventies and eighties, if they were made today, would be instant classics. Oh, you are so right. Halloween, the um, this I, I don't want to spoil it. A couple, I, I there's another film on our list he did. I think well, one of us will definitely bring up later on. But he's he's my favorite filmmakers. He's he's definitely one of few guys out there that that you love watching it. I think I think Halloween, Escape from New York uh, are incredible. There, I, I know you and I got a couple movies on the list that we'll get to, but that's uh, yeah, he's one of those guys that's still rocking around, and he did the score too. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, without him, I mean, would we have heard from a Robert Rodriguez? I mean, he was the 80s Robert Rodriguez, honestly. True, and even I think Quentin gives some love. But hey, look who's in that film. So we so you, so we have uh, Kurt Russell, we have Lee Van, we have late Harry D. Stanton, who passed away uh, this year. Rest in peace, Mr. Stanton. Adrian Barbo, and of course, Isaac Hayes as the Duke. Come on, you cannot go wrong with that. Oh, and Ernest Borgnine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Classic, great film, great. All right, yeah. What's, what's your next one? Uh, well, since we're going next year, uh, and, you know, we're, uh, so you did a horror one. I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna do an animated film. Heavy Metal came out, uh, came out eighty one. Great film, nice, nice one. Uh, really ahead of its time in terms of uh, of animation. Great score. Uh, I think John Candy, I believe Howard Ramis did some. Yeah, Howard Ramis did do some voices on that. And I think uh, Heavy Metal is broken down to two, I think three or four stories, if I remember correctly. It's been a minute, but I remember when I came on cable a couple of years ago. I remember seeing the commercials for it uh, when I was growing up. That's that's a uh, that's uh, definitely on on the list, man. That's 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 a good film. Heavy Metal, kind of for us and, and anime guy, animated folks. That's one of them. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited. Uh, I guess Robert Rodriguez, uh, speaking of him again, um, bought the rights to uh, not only the magazine because Heavy Metal was initially uh, a magazine, but he bought, uh, bought the film rights as well. So a Robert Rodriguez version of uh, Heavy Metal, I would love to see that. That should be interesting. Very interesting. All right, Tim, what you got next? All right, a uh, little movie from 1981 that introduced the world to Bruce Campbell. It's The Evil Dead. Oh wow! Wow, man! I don't even have that on my. I don't even have that on my list. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That 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 was um that that would be that's Sam Raimi, correct? Yep, Sam Raimi's first okay. movie. Um and just it's one of those deals. Sometimes you get filmmakers at the right time with the right circumstances. He you know had like little to no money, but was so inventive with what resources he did have that. The Evil Dead is just as good, if not better, than most of the slasher films that came out in that era. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I gotta watch it again, man. I have to. It's been a minute. I, I said, oh, things I'm not having, I'm putting on that list. I got, I gotta watch that film again. That's a, that's a good one. Yeah, and I'm always partial to that because I remember Army of Darkness um, early on in the movie when uh, Campbell's given the boomstick speech. He mentions my hometown, so I instantly loved it. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. All right. What do you got? Um, well, saying that same darkness, I'm going to go to my, another filmmaker friend that I wish was my friend, but another filmmaker I enjoy. That's Michael Mann, and I'm going to talk about his first movie, Thief. Nice. 
Yeah, James Caan, uh, just Jim, uh, Jim, yeah, the Jim Belushi's first film, actually. Um, Tuesday Weld, I believe, is in this film. So James Caan play is, a, is an exceptional thief, uh, a safe robber, and he tries to live a straight life, but it's hard. Do, it's, he has a hard time doing that. And uh, just, you know, James Comedy flips it. Just a shot of Chicago, I believe. And, you know, if you're a big Michael Mann fan like I am, I, I love Michael Mann. This is, this is really one of a uh, really great first-time film, great storyline, moves very well. Kill a scene of how, um, um, uh, how LaBrefer had seen and, and how James Conn's character breaks to another safe. So it's really kind of, it's a good film to have on your list. That's a Michael Mann thief. Good, nice, good one. And Belushi's not bad. He's really good. Uh, and yeah, that's the thing with Belushi. I, I think Belushi is a pretty good actor. Uh, it's not on my list, but there's a film he did in the '80s with uh, Louis Gossett Jr. called The Principal. Um, yep, that's on. That's actually on my list. But yeah, yeah, um, it's it, it, he did one hell of a job. And I uh, honestly, the reason people don't give him the credit he deserves is is honestly his brother. When 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 John John Belushi's your brother, you have a high bar to jump over. And you know, I, I do feel that, you know, James Jim Belushi could have gone to many more places in his career if not for his brother. I mean, I, I'm sure he does not regret a single thing in his career, but, you know, he's, he's much more talented than the, the guy we saw in that stupid sitcom, according to Jim. Yeah, and it also didn't help that you follow your brother's footsteps going on SNL that season. But, at, you know, he, the character he did very well when they did, uh, I think, Match Game, and his, he played Captain Kangaroo. That's kind of fun. But, you know, Belushi had his moments. And, you know, there's... Is that film? I think I have another film of his on on my list as well too. But yeah, these uh, that's uh, you know Belushi's uh, you know good. At, I mean, a come and go. I I didn't meet him. One of my friends met him. Nice guy. Mm-hmm. Nice guy. Love smoking cigars. Nice guy. And uh, <laughs> you know, I gotta give. Like I said I gotta give him credit. It's, you know, when your brother in the prime is gone, it's a big name to look up to. But I think he done, I think he's definitely done one on his own and he definitely has a good uh, resume of film stuff. He did a film in the nineties with Tupac. I think it's called Gang Related, I think the film is, and that's a great film. So that's definitely he it's you know, he's definitely a talented actor. Yeah, and um also was it it was Red Heat, I believe, um with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yep, um that's on my list. Yep. And with that, another episode of Friends Talking Nerdy is in the books. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, Next week is going to be part two of the conversation uh, with Noel here as we dive deeper into some of the best films from the 80s that we do like. Remember to head over to friendstalkingnerdy.com where we do have a reaction to the news that broke today, um, that broke on the day of the writing, of course, of... uh, Brian Bendis signing an exclusive contract with DC Comics, leaving Marvel after close to 20 years of work and doing some amazing work with them. Um, Also, we would like to thank once again Christopher Lazaric for his amazing theme song. Head over to his website, ChristopherLazaric.com, where you can get information on how to purchase his EP called Here's to You, which is available on all digital platforms. And it will also give you information on if he's out and about in touring. He's a good singer. Give him a chance. So, uh, again, thank you for listening. What you just heard was the end of part one of our conversation next week. Part two. Thank you. Well, it's such a special night. It's our last show that I thought it was uh, appropriate to do love song. 
I wrote this about this girl that I met about five years ago. I was going to come out with some money, you know, I'm trying to live out here for a while. And uh, I met this girl and I wanted to impress her, you know, so we went through all my cash in about a year. <laughs> then one day she said, you know, Sam, it's, uh, there's something missing from our relationship. I said, uh, well, it wouldn't be the cash by any chance, would it, honey? <laughs> she said, no, uh, we found so many special things about each other. I just, I hate to see it all go to waste because the passion's gone. She says, can't we still, like, see each other once in a while and uh, have lunch or see a movie or just to be friends? I said, yeah, friends, I think I know what you mean. I become some kind of emotional tampon that you need four or five days a month. But no one else will take your fucking bullshit. But we don't fuck, isn't that about right, honey? That's what friends is, we don't fuck, right? She said, well, yeah, that's kind of it. I wrote this song, it goes like this. Slide under a gas truck and taste your own fucking blood. 